Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hiya! And Duncan! Hello! Britcast 2, Brexit Boogaloo. Here we are <laughs> with... Boo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> the, looks of, the looks of despair just that automatically appear, involuntarily appear on their face is, is pretty pretty delicious. Uh, this is revenge for, for me fucking up our first, our first intro. So we need a second intro. I'm going to put all y'all on blast. Uh, well, uh, we had a lot of fun with our with our most recent Utana Tween, where we covered the Apocalypse Saga, but now we are back to business as usual, and that will start out with, for the first half of the podcast, talking about uh, parents or lack thereof in anime. Some of you eager listeners might know that that has a lot of overlap with our previous topics about family and about uh, mothers, but uh, so what? And then afterwards, we'll be talking about shows we've been watching, Boy and the Beast, The Great Pretender, and the most recent season of Agretzko on Netflix. So for starters, parents, why does anime love for there not to be parents? Is it just because <laughs> they need to get parents out of the way so that the kids can be the heroes? I mean, uh, well, I, I, set myself, open. I set myself a... a pretty Sisyphean task of trying to find a good anime with both parents in and like a, a functioning home life where they actually play an active role in both the, the story and the everything else. And it, I just drew a complete blank. Andy <laughs> claims that he knows of, of a, a functional family in anime and I, I dare him to reveal this thing now because I, I think it is but shadows. And... Yeah, Andy always lies. Yeah, uh, It's quite simple. It's Crayon Shin-chan. Mm. <laughs> uh, at the moment andy drops mike <laughs> boom motherfuckers <laughs> yeah no there's there's like a full family unit there's a uh, daughter the kid the crown shin chan is the kid and then the two parents and actually that parents like really good they genuinely love each other and <laughs> like the uh they get into arguments but they figure it the movie that i watched recently of theirs it was all about the dad having really smelly feet and so um, the koalas are really attracted to it. So a giant koala takes him away and tries to mate with him. It's insane. It's a great show. <laughs> if you've not so, seen but, and, 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 that, and that movie has something to do with parenthood is what you're arguing. No, that's just some bullshit movie about like them in a, like some crazy. It was like, oh, I don't know. But yeah. That's I've cool. only I've only ever watched the dub of Crayon Shin Chen where they know they do a lot of samurai pizza cat treatment of like not saying what they're actually saying, right? I don't know. I, my knowledge of Crayon Shin Chan is just as small as yours, but I just know uh, that it's a functional family with an anime. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, when they're little, that's usually the case. Although it's often con- common, like I'm gonna. This is the one time I'm gonna admit, admit on the podcast that I watched Mitsudomoe. Um <laughs> but that that is just like one example of just like. They have a loving father. Their mom's dead. We don't really talk about it. She just died sometime and like they miss her. But like in the weird like anime joke where it's a, the face up in the sky, like <laughs> ha- like at half alpha yeah. um, uh, or something. But yeah, you don't usually you don't usually see parents. And even if they do, even if they are alive in anime, I was thinking of how many anime parents are like mysteriously working overseas like that's how why in another he has to move back to the village is because like his dad is working in india and can't really talk and i think um i think the uh the parents in kaon or the parents in haruhi like they they both are like there but always traveling for business 
and I wonder if it's like accurate or if it's like just re- recreating a kid's sense that like, oh, mom's never home, dad's never home. Like, it's very funny the ways that that anime gets rid of parents so they can just be the kids doing shit. Like, um, if, they, if they don't I, fucking I, kill them, like yeah. like every battle shown in with dead parents. I would say the other, I mean, the classic family, whenever I think of good family units, I always think of Nagisa's family in Planad. Um, she has a mum and a dad, and sure, they may have left her alone once and given her an almost fatal illness, but then they went to hospital. But apart from that one time, they then opened up a bakery and then started looking after him. Uh, just like threw away all their dreams just so they can look after this one kid. So, you know, good parents do exist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that it's... But like every, like One Piece, how many people are orphans or oh, raised everyone. by... <laughs> like, and Naruto, everyone. Bleach is one of the few examples where like his dad's there and also secretly a badass and, Shinigami. And, and, I was going to say, you, you mentioned Naruto, but I, I guess there's technically... Bur- Bolto or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. So Boruto, Boruto, like I guess you could say that Hinata and Naruto and their two kids are a, a reasonable family unit. Although I would argue that Hinata has <laughs> turned from a bit of a badass to a mum, and I don't think there's any problem with that. I just think Wait, it's a whoa, bit... whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh yeah, Hinata. Okay. Yeah, Hinata. Oh, well, are you talking about? Are you saying that Naruto and its subsidiary series like to disempower female characters once they enter into the romantic ecosystem of yeah. being a girlfriend or a mother? Yeah. yeah. That shocks me. I know. Sakura was Sakura was such a strong character, Auntie. No, before Sakura. the second second of the episode. <laughs> That, and Hinata. Uh, yeah. Hinata is the main, my main grip, but gripe because I always thought Sakura was a bit of a fucking wimp anyway, and she just and it's one of those Sakura. Things Sakura would... in in Shippuden, Sakura gets knocked out by someone's unconscious body hitting her. She gets knocked out by someone who's not even not even conscious, mm-hmm. and that was what I was like, man, that's brutal. Sa- Sakura gets the worst, but then also like she loves Sasuke, and then Sasuke turns out to be just abandoned her with a child, and I'm just like. Kind of get meet what you sow. I didn't feel too bad about her, but Hinata, I was like, "Fucking hell, you're like a badass, like woman who's fought fucking pain and whatever. Like, you've, you, you're pretty fucking good fighter, and now you're just a stay-at-home mum. I'm just like, what's happened? Yeah. What has happened? Like, you're not. What's that? Whatever. Head of the fucking stupid family. I can't remember what they're fucking called now. But yeah, it's been so long since I've watched Naruto. Uchi, Uchiha, Uchiha. No, that's Sasuke. Uchiha family oh. is Sasuke. Oh, uh, Hyoga. Ah, uh, sure. Why not? I don't. It does. I, I, bet I'm, I bet. I bet. I'm right. Something <laughs> of a. Yep, I am right. Hyuga, not Hyoga. Right, okay. On our previous Yoka. show about um, a family, John brought up um, Dragon Ball and. That, that there's a fair few functioning families within that and mm-hmm. it does seem like there's this sort of strange um sub genre within battle shonen where having these dynasties almost of um okay what happens when i take my goku and uh my other uh fire type uh fighter and i smash them together and we create this new ooh, ooh battle shonen protagonist right. it's, it's a, yeah it's weird battle shonen eugenics which is not going to be our episode title <laughs> <laughs> we just want to breed them see what powers they get <laughs> which is actually something that comes up in my hero academia like um Todoroki, the whole thing about them is that they that embor who's his dad uh not embor that's the pokemon 
Hold on. Let me find out. <laughs> Who hasn't mixed up an anime character with the name of a Pokemon? <laughs> they oh, are. His... Which Among Us is without soon? <laughs> Endeavor. Who I think is also another Pokemon. But yeah, Endeavor uh, is like breeds with like and oh, fuck you've thrown me off my game man uh, <laughs> you have no one to blame but the, yourself the plot of my hero academia does have a story where a fire hero and an ice ice heroine decide to have a kid together just to try and create like the most powerful hero and that kid's dealing with the neurosis having a, a father who sort of beat up his mother because the kids weren't succeeding as he wanted them to and like there's definitely parents seem to exist in that that role in a lot of things where they are like the either the system which the child is pushing against or if they are both there or the sort of font of resentment which the 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 kid pushes against yeah being in the shadow of of someone is is like a big deal and i think like in early naruto it's actually kind of rare in in battle shonen that he like he is like obsessed with like proving his parentage or figuring out who his parents are or like yeah he like and that recedes into the background as like just the raw quest for power uh <laughs> takes over naruto um and he and sasuke is like weird bad breakup but uh yeah, but romantic yeah entanglement. <laughs> but it's 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 very usual that like kids kids in um in battle shonen are standing in the shadow of their like superior but like absent or like fallen parents and it kind of like gets a weird echo with like evangelion and like the worst dad of all time um and you know a mom who died in front of shinji's very eyes but even in like slice of life stuff like lucky star uh kanata's mom is dead in school rumble uh tenma and <coughs> yakuno's parents are just like not there we see the dad once in a flashback but otherwise they're just never home in minami k we're implied that the parents are dead but they just never talk about it in a mm. way that feels really implausible that just like occasionally their uncle um who's very young he's like was the younger sibling of one of their parents will just be like and i have to take care of you now and that's the most we get to like oh well, why aren't the parents there to take care of him but there's fucking not I, they're I, gone. Hon I honestly thought like Slice of Life might be where my search succeeded because, like, it doesn't have the conflict, so you assume like doesn't you don't need the parents not to be there, but seemingly mm. still, it's it's such a a powerful assumption slash trope in anime writing that it still pervades. Like one thing which sort sort of semi had it was working, which, although mm. um on I can actually um sure yeah <laughs> he's aside um. His his neurosis comes from his his dad. Like he likes small things, and his dad dad supposedly liked small things as well. And and like his mum's greatest fear is he's he's gonna turn into a a, a lolly loving old man Every, like her, her her dad. And that's everyone's that's everyone's favorite. Fear. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it, everyone's it, it, it greatest was, fear of Takanashi. And like his like that that the, the culmination of working is that. Is uh, his mother finally ac accepts him having sort of grown up when he decides to pick a a, a relatively normal woman rather than uh, <laughs> other than the, not the tiny person who he could have picked. I I, I just want to say, Duncan, it's clear how much you love working and how deep inside of that you would call Inami 
normal, relatively normal yeah. at all. She, I was gonna, I was gonna, every I, man he sees, she's I was going yeah. to yeah. follow up with saying she has her own parental issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Working actually has a fair amount of like parents fucking yeah, up because because Yamada also has like parent issues too, and, and they uh, a lot of, of them because she's trying to get Atosan to be her her father. <laughs> I I mean the other the other uh, I mean. Talking about other slice of life, so non non the kids have a mother at least who tells them off about their grades, and that's a great scene. In <laughs> one. Uh, as well as, um, but it's also a show largely denuded of parents. Like yeah. the, the adult figures are like the older people who used to go to the school and are now the are now like the teacher or the candy shop lady, as mm-hmm. they call her. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the other one I was thinking of is a high school girl. There's quite a. I mean, oh, you don't shit. see the father, but you do see the mother, and you do see on... Yeah, it just feels very weird that anime is very fine with just being like, what dad? Yeah! <laughs> but it makes... What mom? I or think... dead mom? I think it makes sense, though, because if you're talking about, like, a traditional sort of high school plot, then it, you need to have... Especially if it's sort of like a harbor anime or, like, any sort of one where they want to get away with doing whatever the fuck they want. Like, you yeah. got to have the parents out of the picture. Similar with, like, Harry Potter, how they're like, oh, your parents are dead. By the way, you've been sent off to a boarding school. Do what the fuck you want. <laughs> like, it, it's... Uh, although we can't talk about Harry Potter anymore, can we? Because uh, it's bad. But um, the... Always was. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Always but, has been. <laughs> but, but now it, it's really doubled down in badness. Um, but, like, it is, it, it is just, like... I think that, like, a lot of shows wouldn't... A lot of, especially a lot of Western shows, I feel like wouldn't explicitly have a parent get killed off. They would just introduce them in like the first two episodes, and then they just wouldn't really show up. But like anime is very comfortable being like, "Oh yeah, mom's dead. She's dead. Don't ever, <laughs> don't ever, don't ever ask about her again. She died when I was very young." Which I think is something that gets said in like literally every other anime. Mm-hmm. Some characters like, "Oh yeah, my mom died when she was very young. I don't really remember her." Anyway, it's just me and my dad. Me and my, me and my dad. He never gets remarried because I don't know if that's maybe not a norm in Japanese society to get remarried after a, a parent, a, a, a spouse's death. But yeah, it's it's very funny to like look at this stuff. I mean, even I'm looking at the TV tropes for invisible parents and uh, and parental abandonment, and it points out that we never meet Saikawa's parents and Miss Kobayashi's dragon maid, which is very weird that like. We we see the caretakers of the little dragon girl, but the little little human girl, we just barely we barely or don't at all see her parents. When I don't know, it's it's very interesting how they how they avoid that, or just like the fact that apparently uh, we only ever see Madoka's parents and Puella Magic Magi Madoka yeah. Magica. Like everyone else doesn't have parents, nope. which is weird because like. It is like what you're saying, like Harry Potter and like, oh, we're at school. Parents aren't supposed to be here. But at least in my experience, I don't know how it is across the pond, but my parents were at school fairly often, especially when I was in grade school. Like this parent teacher stuff and they come pick you up. And Um, we don't have uh, I think just in terms of story, like you can't invite a gaggle of women around and then accidentally grope them all. If your parents are there, that's true. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm it, gonna, I'm gonna counter that, Andy, because like, <laughs> no, the only only example I could think of of a, like which of a something which had parents present in the plot quite heavily actually ended up being Domicano, uh, oh, no. which is because they are anti- they they 
essentially they're antagonists. They're there for exactly the for exactly the reason you just just described to stop the the kids going off and uh, copping off with that. <laughs> but it's it's weird. Like that the the only one of the few examples I could think where both parents were like actively described and characterized people in the, the show is one where, where their only reason to be there was to make their kids feel guilty and to, yeah. to make their life more difficult and the enemy's stated aim more awkward. And that was, that's kind of amused. Um, but I was going to say, there are a few good examples of adopted parents. I was thinking of, of like both in terms of people adopted into other families and um just generally adopted because the two which two like mo- almost like most almost in one case heartbreakingly wholesome family units i could could find was um uh princess kagua and um in this corner of the world where like those were in both cases are like fully functional families and like the in princess kagua in particular and also within in this corner of the world it's, it's the removal of one member of that family from that unit, which is is the what is the heartbreak of of those shows, and it feels like very much like a family is the thing we expect as the norm, and so you only get they only get put in there in in a, as a whole if the show's gonna actually do something horrible to them. It's if you're a family in an anime, something bad's probably gonna happen to one of you, and the other two are gonna like because like wolf children, for the, we we get a dad and a mum for a while, and they're happy and they're a, 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 a relatively strangely adjusted family, and then and dad has to go off and on and get himself killed. And, he needs to catch a bird to feed them. Yeah, that didn't work out well. Yeah, no, it didn't. Speaking of Mamoru Hosoda stuff, yeah, he. He often does like the challenges of parenthood and the difficulty of turning a couple of people having fun into a family unit. That was all, all that Mirei was exactly that. Um, yeah. I carry on. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say, just to quickly change tracks, uh, that I do have a genre that answers your initial premise to completion and more, Duncan, mm-hmm. and that is shoujo romance. Shoujo romance has many many complete family units um like uh, karikano both of yukino's parents uh and the two her two sisters her two plucky sisters are very common um and i think even in fucking boys over flowers even though their her parents are terrible and just want her to marry rich so that they so that they don't have to like rely on the husband who keeps getting laid off to support them they, it's still like a full family because i think it's important to have like the tension between the normalized relationships of the family sphere with her parents uh, contrasting with like usually the weird kind of abusive gaslighty stuff that's happening with her object of romance mm-hmm. in uh, in an in an anime uh, that's about yeah shoujo romance. I had always assumed that was that was diff- different, perhaps because I've always come into like the second generation of shoujo with things like um, uh, Fruits Basket and. Uh... Uran, where the the absent parent trope and the dest having that something to do with their their destiny etc and finding their destiny hmm. thing and and fruits basket in particular yeah like, I was gonna say fruits baskets probably whack has, has like like every single character either dead parent or or because of the, its central gimmick which is like these children are possessed by a zodiac spirit and transform into animals they're all like ostracized and 
thrown away by their parents. So it's it like that. That's a show where the it's it highlights the parents who actually have chosen to stay with their children and mm-hmm. do them. And part of and part of of what that 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 show has like talks a lot about like this idea of like a um a central family and offshoots of it and and like having a, a a patriarch who's like everyone else is um subservient to in charge of the head family and and their estate and all all that stuff and it occurs mm-hmm. to me like maybe it's just the impression i'm always given but japan seems to be a, at least have been a very strongly hierarchical um society and so I, I wonder if, because the pressures of being part of this family are so great on children, like and young adults, maybe it's just like the last thing you want to be thinking about now is is the fact that you're going to be head of the family one day, kids. Uh, here's here's one where that 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 kid never has to deal with that. I think like it's that role model, that whole lot above them, that they're either. It's it's rare that we see a kid like I think like an interesting example is is Toradora, um, where the uh, he he the the ma- main protagonist whose name I've totally forgotten, uh, he very much almost plays the dad in his family. He's he's really responsible. He does the cooking. His he mm-hmm. looks after his mum a lot. And like it's very rare to have a show like that where you will have someone. In, sort of taking responsibility rather than taking advantage of the absence of. Yeah, I do think that, like, stepping into a parental role is often a fairly familiar thing. Like, we got a we got a message from Katie, not the Katie who uh, appeared uh, in the last episode, but a different Katie, um, saying that when people think of, when she thinks of parents, she thinks especially of, of March Comes In Like a Lion, uh, yeah. because it is very much about, like, chosen family, and you have these different authority figures functioning as parents in certain social contexts and as children and others and how that how that shakes out sometimes but like when i was thinking of just like good mother father combos like one of the ones which came up was uh charles and ray beams who who, oh, yeah. who are who are just like the one the one good part of of eureka seven <laughs> i wonder if that like they're they're such good good possible parents that 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 said, like the show emphasizes that so much that like that they they are so caring of of Renton and they're they're so sort of like they they they're not over controlling they're not sort of like laissez faire either they 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 like this really well, well grounded and blend and like their tragedy is they can't have kids and the one kid they adopt is they feel is going to be took away from them because he's hanging around with people they know to be dangerous in their their mind anyway and who they blame for their inability to have children and so mm-hmm. they they're built up as these good parents precisely to to, to play up the the tragedy of that they can't have children yeah yeah that's a good point um i also wanted to mention really quick with something you said earlier of like the idea of the koseki or the family registry um being a big deal with like who is the head of family? Who is the head of household? Like who, who ha- who has been formally adopted? Who is not? And that this is you know, it's a practice that began in the sixth century uh, that has uh, existed 
in various forms for literally centuries. And so this idea of like the family unit and like the lines of inheritance between different families being really carefully uh, outlined because like the, the, uh, it, it, uh, it fulfills like the function of like a birth certificate and a death certificate and a marriage license and the census because everything is contained within this family registry. Um, but it's just a it's just a, a record that exists on the level of the family rather than on the level of the individual. And so I think that with these complex family situations that exist in noble households and some dramas or in Fruits Basket, which I think very desperately reaches towards the like old style decadence of 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 a of a noble family in decline. Um, I think that, that that there is a certain resonance there that's being specifically reached for. Mm. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, I, I got nothing to say to that. But I, like I said, I just, I just think it's a very easy plot point, and, and who can be fucked to design and draw and and voice another two characters who don't need to be in it to tell the story that they want to tell. Yeah. Well, it's. I feel like it was much more expected because I'm thinking of like older stuff. Like um, Sailor Moon is notable for like uh, Usagi's parents are very present and very active in in it. Uh, but every everyone else doesn't just basically doesn't have parents even to the point that again tv tropes uh informs me at one point uh ami sailor mercury is going to fly to america and her parents aren't even there to see her off it's just a (laughs) bunch of and i mean in boys over flowers like all the rich kids parents we don't see them the main authority figure with the richest dude is is his older sister who got married uh and is now like technically not part of the family because of again that uh family registry system in Japan. Uh, and then like uh, Urusei Yatsura, where Ataru's parents are like a running joke that they hate him and they wish that he didn't exist. Uh, and the dad is at work as much as possible because he wants to be away from him. But like, there are ways to like make parents funny or interesting, but I think that this increasingly modern anime just prefers to be like, nope, she's dead. Now they're, they're working overseas. He's in uh, America or Germany. One of, one of the easy ones to... to to do big money abroad yeah. that explains yeah. the, the giant house i was gonna say there's a new the new the newest version of this this trope is well the the kid's now in another world so her parents are back uh, in the other world yeah, I was so say. Yeah, it's fucking weird to speaking of i've been trying to get back into 12 kingdoms because i've become increasingly suspicious that my initial reaction to it was like duncan's initial reaction to utana um, and now with a better grounding and a better appreciation for good Sakuga, I'll enjoy it. And like that show is full of her parents like freaking out that they that she's disappeared. Like as she's having her adventures in the other world, we can all, we sometimes see her parents being like, oh, fuck, where is she? Like they don't say fuck. That'd be pretty sweet. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, no, where is she? What's she going to do? And like they give up eventually. And it's actually kind of sad that like she like through a magic portal mirror or something I can barely remember like sees that her parents have like finally finally after months and months and months given up that wherever she is she's dead or gone so it is weird that like but then like most isekai protagonists nowadays like are hikikomori who if they have parents they don't interact with them and therefore no one misses them it's a very odd sort of i mean affirmation barely see that stuff in like that, that sort of stuff anyway yes well because mm-hmm. then you need you need to know the fact that they're gamers so it makes sense that they're hikimori because usually they are all the rpg world fucking like b0 <laughs> and, uh, 
other ones. I was going to say ReZero is kind of like, well, this season has kind of broke that. It's, it's notable for breaking that by having an entire episode uh, devoted to uh, Saburu's uh, parents. And mm-hmm. like. Oh, that's cool. I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> I'm so behind. <laughs> I, honest, I know. I know. It's, it's, I'm greatly disappointed at people for not not keeping up with this this se- season. But honestly, I think it's maybe the best episode they've in Rezero. That it starts off with him waking up in his own own bed and immediately looking, sort of scanning across his room to his shelves, which are full of um, figurines of girls with white white hair and uh, pigtails. And it's like, oh, so that's that that explains why he he he's going for Emilia. It's just he's, he's got <laughs> uh, like posters all over his wall and anime characters. It's it's that's his perfect type. He and now now he gets to live with his XB girl. <laughs> Yeah, it it just feels very weird to me, but it does seem very weird that I think that it would be almost unthinkable in most Western dramas and even in a lot of Western comedies not to have a character's relationship with their parents be an important part of their characterization. But it seems very common in in anime for it just to be it's more important to know what kind of figurines someone owns than than who their parents are, what they do, and what their childhood was like. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's like a just a psychoanalytic Freud thing, I or th- if it's in Free Zero's case, is that is like the that's the setup for or like it starts with the typical all like dunking on on Saru, and then actually goes in on it, who his dad was, and and like his dad being like he's. He, I can describe. He's like the big man in the neighborhood. He's he's like mm-hmm. he's strong, handsome. Everyone. He's the person that everyone turns to, and Saru's who's expected to be like him. He's he's like a really loud child, and he's he's shows aptitude in sports. And like the episode t- turns on him, sort of like realizing he can never quite live up to his father's legacy. And mm. from there, sort of slowly turning on in on himself as he realizes all other people see in, in him is his dad, and that he's basically lined up to fail, that he's never going to be as good as his dad is. But by the end, you get a, a good sense of why someone like this would be so focused on doing things just for, because he thinks what that's what's right to do. To, rather than that normally just being like something which is baked into every shonen protagonist. There's like a reason why this this comes from him. Yeah, but you have to admit that that's a pretty rare like yeah. character exploration for anime. Usually, I mean, you're allowed to like be walking in your father's footsteps in a fighting anime, yes, but like when it comes to just being a normal human being and like how you conceive of yourself. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that like, a lot of you're saying like our oh, western shows don't really ever have like this problem of not showing their parents but i also think that western shows just don't really have um shows in this period of time like so mm-hmm. few shows i can think of that are western are actually set when you're at school and that's apart from like in between us which is a really sort of old comedy like you don't really get much like you don't really get it it's always university or young adults like you, because that's that's the age when they can go wild. Like you don't. I think the sh- issue still exists. It still permeates. Like you don't see many parents. I 
I haven't watched all of Big Bang, but I doubt that you'll see any of Sheldon's parents. Probably going to eat my words now. I don't care about the show, <laughs> but, like, you know, Sheldon's parents. Uh, I do think like anime, whether we like it or not, is does have an audience which is younger than a lot of mainstream prestige Western TV. But even um, when you look at a Western stuff which is aimed at a YA audience and is set in high schools, things like as as was earlier mentioned, Harry Potter or Buffy, and you still I was going to say Buffy. Even yeah. in Buffy, her mum's a huge presence in her life. Yeah, and... but her mum's also a witch. Oh, no, her mum isn't no, a witch. No, witch. No, her mum is extremely... Which oh, one's no. Buffy? What am I thinking of? Sabrina? I don't know. Sabrina has thinking of Sabrina, but also her mom, her parents... Yeah, she has aunts. Her parents are gone for various reasons. That actually is a good example of, of one. <laughs> that's from a, that's from a comic like, book. So rest my meant case. it all along. <laughs> But what about like Boy Meets World or Saved by the Bell or The Wonder Years? These like we have a lot of stuff that takes place in in high school. Not as much lately, but I think that's just because prestige drama doesn't care as much about about high school. Thinking back to Happy Days, that has a lot of the parents being involved. And that was was like the prototypical high school show. But compare (laughs) that to every sort of Kirby Enthusiasm Friends Frasier. Like it's demonstrably less than anime, which is like... If it's not set in a high school, it's almost not worth setting it. Doing Andy, it in I've got bad news. If if you're trying to argue that Friends shows that parents don't show up that much in people's lives, because we meet everybody's parents and friends multiple no, times. We no, see, we po- see Ross and Rachel's. We see Ratchet, Ross and Monica's friends, parents all the time. Like yeah, like owned. Four sorry, se- <laughs> uh, a four seasons in. You know, you don't see it fucking season one, do you? Um, but <laughs> like uh, two, like you know the the. The thing that I was trying to get at was was not the fact that friends you see their parents, but the fact that friends they're older. Whilst you like the amount of high school western shows yeah. is demonstrably less than the, the amount of high school animes. Like, so you're arguing that because the people are older, it's normal to see their parents more. Is that what you're arguing? No, I'm, I'm arguing that because they're, <laughs> what, because you see the parents less when they are older because they are in a different stage of their lives. So it's less weird that we don't see the parents until that one yeah, special okay. episode where you fucking agree with that. get some famous guy to play yeah. Monica's dad. Like, I think that's what I was getting. No, at. That, that's that's, that's <laughs> fair. But and also, it's as when the characters are older, they already have lots of agency on their their own. They li- so it doesn't matter as much as like having their parents around because their parents don't control them. Whereas when you're 14 year old, the parent controls them. So yeah, that's why they get yeah, the, the sheer number of shows that I've seen where they go over to someone's house in anime, where they go over to someone's house and there are no parents there and no one comments about it. And it's not even like, Oh, you live on your own. That's cool. Maybe they'll, they might be like, yeah, my, my dad works overseas, but like, it's very common in anime just to go over to someone's house and you never see their parents, which I think I would have, my mom would have never let me go back to someone's house if that were if that were the case when I visited. Um, but they're just like, oh, you live in an apartment in the middle of Tokyo by yourself. Your parents pay for it or they don't exist. They, like the, the trust fund of your dead parents will pays for it. That's cool. Whatever. You want to play some video games? But I do think, no, I just think it's like, it's funny how normalized just like the parents not being around in anime is that's my mm. chief point here like it's something you don't even really have to explain like minami k like i said in five seasons never says where their parents are they're just not there and almost all of the show takes place 
at home in the apartment they live at. Yeah, but and it's just like I think it's the same thing with like how you know they don't care because it's not it's not what they're wanting to show. They're not wanting to show the parents. It's just how like in Cow and Chicken, you never see the parents' face, or Tom and Jerry, you'd never see the guy who beats them all with a not giving them back. a face is different than literally never bringing them up. Andy, you're killing me here. No, it's not like the the. So Andy, is, Andy, is there a difference between me saying, okay, I'm going to take a break, and me just getting up and walking away from the computer? <laughs> Are those different things? Oh, no, but I feel that you're going to do that in a bit. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, Daily Lives of High School Boys. Like, you don't see the parents, even though they're at their houses all the time, because parents, yeah. they don't care. They just want to be dumb kids, and if the parents are involved in that, yeah, unless well, it's being in a joke, they don't, they but don't I, want to I, know. I, I do think that the show that anime exists a lot more in this kind of like fantastical kid space where like there are no parents until you need them for something. Yeah. Um, like you don't even think about your parents until like, oh, shit, I got to go home and get fed. And then they're there like just like a pair of arms to put some food in front of you. I love my parents. Hi, mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, just yeah. be glad John's not here or you'd be talking Jojo's. I wasn't going to bring up Jojo, but yeah, Jojo's fat. Jojo's family, well, because Jojo's family are crap. They're terrible people. They're all bad. Anyway. Yeah, I, I will say it is very funny that with with Jojo's, with the with a not Diamonds Unbreakable, uh, Stardust Crusaders, like it's just hang out with your grandpa the whole for 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 like six months. At, at least at least it's no better. Like don't get me wrong, but like Jonathan's <laughs> a piece of shit. And then like and then in uh, Diamond is Unbreakable, Jonathan does come back because he is obviously Josuke's father. And uh, but that also <laughs> shows the great mum, like Jos uh, Jotaro's uh, no Josuke's mum is fucking incredible. Like yeah, I was gonna say Jotaro's she, mom spins spins the entire series like wrapped up in mind vines that no so. one can see apart from her, apart from like her family. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's God. better than her being dead. It's better than like they start the season and they're like, oh yeah, she's dead. Yeah, oh, she died. They're, she's basically dead. Like they don't talk about her except like once every every core. Yeah, <laughs> I, they don't. They yeah. I mean, it's weird. Like Jotaro. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Jojo. Doesn't seem to love his mom very much. I mean, he loves her in a very abstract way. He loves uh, okay. her a lot. He's a mummy's boy. That is the point of the beginning of the show. That's how it starts off. It's like, I love my mom. I'm a mummy's boy. Yes, I'll go to fucking Egypt to find, fight for my mum. Like, the only reason he nearly... He risks his life for her, his mum. So I think and he, is he a hangs out with boy. a farting dog for, like, months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway. Okay. Okay, that's it. Uh, see now. you on a little no bit. No more moms, no more dads. They've all been pushed off screen. <laughs> and we'll, we'll see y'all talking about Agretzko, which does have a mom. Does have it. a mom. And, uh, but not a dad. Are we talking about Boy and the Beast that has two dads? What's going to happen there? Double dads. But Double not, dads. In the, not in the woke agenda way, unfortunately. No. Okay. I mean, it's a bit woke, but if you consider <laughs> beast monsters a sort of variety of... Uh. <laughs> A bit woke is going to be a pretty good podcast title, <laughs> just for making it out there. And we're back. To start off, let's hear Andy talking about Boy and the Beast, a show that I watched, like, last October, so, like, a year ago. We'll see if my impressions are as fresh <laughs> as his. Yeah, I watched uh, Hosoda Ma Mamoru um, anime that I, for some odd reason, just dropped from the radar, and I had, like... Somewhere I filed in my brain that Mirai, Boy and the Beast, and Lone and um, Wolf Children 
was like a... You're gonna call it Lone Wolf and Cub, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was gonna call them, uh, but like, uh, like, they're like a trilogy of sort of films about parenthood. Mm-hmm. He said he wanted to make movies that are actually about children, and he wanted to make movies that were about different aspects of, of what it means to have a family. Yeah, so this very much from the fatherhood side. And um, it's basically about a kid who gets abandoned in Tokyo, then finds a magic door to a magic world, and then gets grown up with a sort of rebellious um, young bakemono or like monster uh, uh, kumatetsu. Uh, and then he grows up and um, hijinks ensue. Uh, and I actually... Overall, I, I quite enjoyed it. I f- thought that it was actually a better put-together production than um, Mirei, where I found it just to be a bit too meandering and didn't really seem to go anywhere until the last like couple of, like, the last act, and then I kind of was lost interest. But I thought that this one did a really good job of sort of having... So basically, he gets trained from, by Kumatetsu to be a really great warrior, uh, as well as the thing where Ren... Sorry, Ren is the main character, and then Kumatetsu. Like, they both learn from each other. Kumatetsu is going to be like... It does that thing I really hate, where it has like a five-minute prologue about shit that I don't care about. Where it's, like, <laughs> where it's like, oh, there's a battle to be the best fucking monster thing in the whole of this galaxy. I was like, whatever. Yeah, but, like, there's a mon- the monster's going to, like, die, and someone else gets to replace him as, like, head monster of the monster world. Yeah. Um. <laughs> That's exactly it, and then yes, <laughs> um, and so it's it's a story. It's a fight between Kumatetsu and um, a uh, it's a boar. It's a Iozan, uh, and he is too unlikable because whilst he is really powerful, he's not very uh, personable. He's not very enjoyable, and then he tries to take on Ren, who's like Ren takes wants him to train him as sort of like a make him good at fighting. Uh, and then a sort of familial bond appears and it's like that and then what happens is Ren grows up and it's actually like a really beautiful like training montage transition as they grow up and accept each other and learn and love like their like their lives it was really actually quite a move like a touching scene Uh, and then he leaves the monster world by accident and then finds a girl uh, who who Second, you know what the girl's called? Kaide. Pam? Kaide. Kaide. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they sort of fall in love, and then he finds his dad again, and then it's like a thing where it's like, do I go with my, my blood, or do I go with my found family? Uh, and I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it a lot, like, the, the way that it sort of... I thought that some stuff was a bit too on the nose, like when they were talking about Moby Dick, and then the evil, like, the other character who's there's a character called um ichiro hiku hiko which is actually mm. kind of similar to what we're talking about with sasuke and naruto right like <laughs> yeah sasuke is is like he's from the family and so is ichiro hiko ichiro ichiro hiku hiko sorry i'm fucking terrible at pronouncing things today um the names are kind of tricky in this one though they have like a very yeah. like weird sort of old-fashioned Almost to them, yeah, which is I feel kind of purposeful because you look at that and it's so like uh traditionally like done, there's no electricity, there's no plumbing, so... yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's 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 that like right before modernity came to Japan, where like that uh 
that Mushishi exists in too. That's like vague, not quite historical period. And, and it gave me strong feelings of like Monkey Journey to the East, like mm. um, especially with the uh, Hyakushubo, who's the uh, the monk, the pig like friend that yeah. the beast has. As uh, like it just gave me very strong airs, and as well as the actual monkey. Uh, that's also in it like very <laughs> strong like monkey journey to the sort of mythology type stuff that they were pulling from which i really yeah. enjoyed like i loved that stuff and it felt very realized um but there was a bit at the end where this guy who's also uh ichiro hiku hiko who is also a human but was um brought in unaware um and sort of raised as a beast boy and has incredible powers like he then turns like his soul gets corrupted or something and then he like has to do a fight and he picks up the book that she, he's reading which is Moby Dick and turns into a giant whale and you're like and that's when I was like oh that's a bit ah it's a bit on the nose <laughs> but yeah apart yeah from that, I... <laughs> sorry carry on no I, I I think that we had like it's very interesting that I watched Mirai no Mirai and Boy and the Beast very close to each other. And I had, like, basically the exact opposite reaction. Oh, as really? you, Where I thought that Boy, Boy and the Beast was a fairly, like, had, did, like, obviously it was about, like, fatherhood and, like, growing into responsibilities. Um, because, like, you don't get to choose the kid who's with you. Um, and I thought that it was good, but it was kind of undermined by, like, the action, action adventure, like, battle shit that was going on in the background. While I really liked how Mirai no Mirai, like, didn't have any real conflict. It's just about, like... The difficulty that is growing up and and discovering that the world's not all about you. Uh, but I think I was also in the mood for something a little bit more calming because I do think Boy and the Beast is good action, and the plot is kind of dumb. I don't know. I think it's kind of dumb. Yeah, I... I'm I'm willing to hear you otherwise, but just like <laughs> humans have like a hole in them that can never be filled uh, that apparently beast men don't have, and that's why humans are banned there. But apparently, people just keep sneaking humans into the beast realm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I agree that the, the the plot is it is it is not the most um, dense of plots. I agree with you there, but I also think that um, comparatively, I found that Mireno Mirei like it just sort of went nowhere, and I I found myself getting quite bored. Whilst I I wasn't bored with the boy and the beast, I was actually quite engaged through all of it. Mm. Um, even though I I do agree, it is a simpler plot, and the action scenes are. I mean, they're great. They're beautifully done action scenes. And when the beasts, like when they, so the beasts are like human form and then sort of like choppery turns into bird form or whatever and like turns into a bigger beast. Like that's all animated absolutely incredibly. Like the animation of those fights are beautiful, but um, I didn't mind that. I thought that was sort of more like downtime on sort of, everything else that was going on to sort of try and gauge some character reactions. I, which I felt that Mirei just didn't have any. I, I don't know. I was a bit down on Mirei, personally. But I, was... I, liked, I liked how peaceful it was. I liked that it's just about like figuring out who you are in the context of the family that you're in as a little kid. And it was, it was like, he, like I said, it was about like stories that are actually about children and from a child's point of view, but not in the like, typical anime way. I, I know. I can, I can see people not liking Mirei. It's not my favorite of his... I think I even like Summer Wars more than it, which is, I guess, saying a fair amount because I think Summer Wars is a fairly disliked entry into his what? filmography. What? No, Summer Wars. Yeah, I didn't realize that. No, I didn't think that at all. I think, Ben, you're off on your own there. Like, Summer Wars is one of the best ones he's done, if not the best that he's done. 
said people think it is. That's a very oh. different thing. Um, but that's not. We're not talking about Summer Wars. We're talking about Boy and the Beast. So yeah. Anyway, um, it's worth it. It's worth a watch. Like it just shows that this guy is a good director. Good. Like has knows how to t- weave a good story and uh, very compelling. It was very enjoyable. So yeah. I now feel deeply depressed because I've realised Summer Wars would be a great choice for our earlier topic. <laughs> <laughs> you got the whole family in 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 that that one estate, and uh, just you get all the uncles, the dad, the mum. Yeah, you get them all of that explored. Yeah, yeah. should have done that one. Curses. Instead, There's always next time. Well, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. I I do. I just. I think I was also really turned off about Isekai by that point in time. <laughs> and so, like, just, like, blundering into world. I did like when his dad apologizes to him, because it's not usually a moment that's handled that way in anime, where he sees his dad, and there's a lot of tension. His dad's like, look, I'm I'm sorry. I, like, I messed up. I just want to be part of your life again. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, usually, usually the father figure is not the one, like, abasing himself in front of his, like, prodigal son. But it was nice to see, I thought. Yeah, I, I, there's, there was a lot of really nice moments throughout. Uh, even the ones that are way more trophy, like when, like at the very end. Um, but yeah, I I agree. I, I, I know exactly the one you're thinking of. Uh, <laughs> when the when the ancient bunny man makes a decision that uh, really doesn't make thinking, sense. <laughs> oh, it's so dumb. Anyway, I I really enjoyed it, um, and I thought that. I don't know. I guess I was kind of into something a bit simpler and a bit more action-y uh, at the time mm-hmm. when I sort of went into it. And it was exactly that. Um, and I, I like it. I, he's good at doing movies. I've seen all of them now. So I can say yeah. that authoritatively. <laughs> but have you seen, like, because before that he did, um, he was one of Ikuhara's storyboard artists in um, in uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena. Um, and right. it's oftentimes one of the better stuff. Like, he... He's has a long history in the industry. I'm glad that he got on his own and started doing like his own movies, even if it means that he has to field the super annoying like is is blank the new Miyazaki, which I think would just destroy my will to be part of the anime industry if I was having those profiles written about me. I mean, but... I'm just I'm just more aware of him doing Digimon. Uh, which... <laughs> That's right. Well, speaking of things that you're enjoying, we have uh, Duncan wants to come back again to talk about uh, Great Pretender again, well, now that you're caught up. Yeah, now, now <laughs> we're done. We're done with, well, we're almost done. We've got a, we have had three arcs on Netflix, which are the first split into three different heists. We had the first one, which uh, was the Los Angeles Connection, which was where I was up to last time. And I think Andy as well. Uh, yeah, and so that that was the getting the gang together uh, a start where we meet uh, our protagonist um, Makoto Edamura and his, his gang of Who uh, hilariously long... gets uh, misnamed as Edamame, uh, which I oh, whacking joke every time. I love that, and, and, <laughs> and especially after they've they've done done so much of that that first first couple of episodes in english as well it is it was a, a nice nice little little acknowledgement and like we also have um three other people in his crew we have uh uh laurent Pierre, abigail jones and cynthia moore and the next two arcs we got treated to were um singapore sky which is concerned with abby and nose of london and with Cynthia and 
I thought it was generally he got better as it went on. Like he had a really strong strong first few, which we talked about last time, and its production quality stayed equally impressive throughout. Like I think, like like sometimes you you'll find someone who has has works you like in common, and 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 I, I will follow this art, art director from now on, and just keep <laughs> looking at his stuff because like it's such a beautiful anime. It's just like the way that the character of these cities is is drawn in like the fact that you can just look at one the the backgrounds and see the color palette he's used and just know this one's london and know this one's singapore and know this one's los angeles and just 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 from the colors it can even inside a, a house you can still tell where it is in one he'll be using these bright aggressive purples and then in the other he'll be using subtle greens and browns and yeah he has a, a great sense for a colorscape of a place and then we get to the actual stories so after the initial um big um con of the first one where they end up all all multi-millionaires and Adamora hands back his to his his thing the next time we see him is is in prison with a a buzz cut which at least to the one gripe I have with the entire series is that we, we see him in prison with a buzz cut and we see him leaving and his hair's immediately grown back. And I'm like, God damn it. What the, I, 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 <laughs> what, oh yeah. He's gonna, he's coming back into society. And he's just got his fucking hair, man. Could they like, like had, had like just it, it growing back instead of just suddenly whoop. And now he's got a full bushel of hair. But anyway, he's coming back into society and he's, he's gonna, he's gonna this time, this time, Andy, He's gonna live it honestly. He's gonna play it straight. Yeah, I think you're no. just jealous because you've shaved your hair. That's that is true. I and have. You're like, why? What's wrong with shaving? Why hair can guys? I not click my hands? And <laughs> my, my, and, uh, well, Andy, as we know, the moment um, uh, all of our imprisonment ends, my hair will grow back. Uh, that is true. That is true. <laughs> probably March next year, if, if which, we're lucky. Which sounds about when we're out of lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, we we he's trying to go straight, and we. Fr- by becoming an uh, an engineer as a uh, just mending cars, and then 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 he gets told, "Oh, you seem to be really talented at this, and so why don't you try your hand at planes?" And, oh, this sounds this sounds interesting. This sounds like a this sounds like a vocation, a calling. I can become a, <laughs> a, a mechanic, and I can learn about. And he hears the wise words of his his mentor about how every the fine art of of aerodynamics. And it's it's after uh, that point where it turns out that this is just Lawrence getting him uh, uh, trained up to be pretend to be a mechanic because he wants to recruit him into the next heist, and that the person who was teaching him was just a, another con man, and he hasn't actually really learnt how to to do anything more than surface surface level maintenance. He's not no, a genius. He wasn't, mechan- he wasn't a con man. He, he was a mechanic, but he was one of Thierry's friends. Like Thierry as sort of like a handler, like the whole point yeah, is guess. that he just knows everybody and everything. So, and I, I don't know, I don't know whether you, well, you carry on, and and I'll tell you. My, no, 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 my no. The, you, you are right, it, but he, he is very much he, 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 his teacher did still con him. He taught him enough to be a competent mechanic, but it, but convinced him he was better at it than he was. Only slightly, like. He, Still could fix a plane, like what more? He couldn't fucking make it. <laughs> yeah, but him... the, the, they they immediately he, he get across that he can't fix a plane that well because Abby gets in in a plane he's fixed with him and proceeds to and the plane yeah. 
proceeds to like, blow up midair. But, you know, but, but that that was a setup as well. Like he, the only reason it blew up was because he put the the pill in the engine. I thought Lauren Cox. Well, nope. We're getting into. We're, we're, no, we're, they, yeah, this, yeah. This is, yeah. This, You're, you um, lost some plot details yeah. now. But, but yeah, it's so in the. But that that made him think he was a not as great a pilot uh, engineer as he actually was. He, he was set up again. And so after his his many setups, anyway, we find the the cast in Singapore where they are going to con the owner of a air race. And so their their job there is that they're going to con these people out because the races are fixed, Andy, fixed, and that well aware. And this this crick, crooked uh, uh, fake shake who's running it has. The one time the, the the guy they'd roped in to be to play the bad guy to be the heel of this show, who, who tried to actually win a race, he blew his plane up and now he's crippled. What a cad he is for doing that. Yeah, yeah, I I I totally agree. Yeah, he's he's a cad and a binder. <laughs> what did you think of that that second arc of of Abby's arc? Because what what we get slowly teased into is that Abby has her. A childhood trauma relating to um, being Iraqi origin. She yeah. she was born. She lived in with her parents in Baghdad, and she's a ballerina. And in some Gulf War equivalent, her family was bombed, and she lost both her mum and her dad, and became for a while a child soldier with some, and until eventually becoming injured during an attack and seemingly to give up on that life at that point. And we don't really get know how she goes from that to becoming a swindler, but we do get an indication that I think it's what something which Lawrence says is that what she's been trying trying to do since is just find a way to, to die by just living the most risk risky and crazy life as possible. And Skies of Singapore is, is all about her sort of coming to terms with forgiving the people who were responsible for the death of her parents while also coming to an acceptance of who that she has a right to live on while they're gone. And it was it was reasonably well handled, I think. <laughs> I felt yeah, I felt that like Abigail as a character I thought was great. I love the fact that she's a Central Asian character, which is I cannot name another Central Asian character in an anime. I found that the whole... I found that the problem with Great Pretender after episode after the first arc where you find out that it's all a huge fucking heist even from, and a con even from when the FBI come in, I just find that I can't really believe anything. And I found that like everything that Thierry was doing, uh. I totally was like, yeah, no, I, I, just, I just know it's going to be a con. I felt that that was pretty much the problem with the whole of the rest of the show is that I'm just like, nothing can reach the height of season one because the cat's out the bag and you can't put it in and you can't raise the stakes any higher than having the FBI like come in, crash a fucking drug building and then shoot the place up only to find out that it's not actually the FBI and it's just like a con by Thierry. Like, I think in fairness though, it doesn't try and do that. It's more concerned with... Um exploring the characters after that point like yeah which i think is the clever idea to do but i just find found that as heists they were just a lot mm, more simpler that's fair enough and and not as complex and yeah 
uh, I, there was some great stuff in because I find that there's two. There's always two sides to what feels like the heist going forward. There's, there's one side which is going to be them pulling off a heist and, and doing the heist, and the other side which is going to be a character development between one of the main cast. Um, and I thought that Abby's was interesting because I felt that as much like with Cynthia, there was definitely so the second third part, which apologies, Duncan, I'm going to gloss over real quick. They go to London, and it's about Cynthia's ex-lover who was a well, I'll talk about that when more in a moment because that, yeah. that's my favorite arc. Yeah, it's it's good, um, but I felt that there was a lot more closure with that, and I felt that Abby's there really wasn't. But then, given her story, the Likely that, given her story and her sort of love interest with uh, Edamura, like it would make sense that there wasn't as much closure. As yeah, that's true. Um, I I did enjoy it, but I I just felt that after the height of the first arc, it was somehow lacking. Um, I think it was less like the, the part of what was so enjoyable about the 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 first arc was that it was just a classic heist it wasn't it was just playing it straight and now it's it it it's in the second and the the, the third it's it's more subtle it, it's not trying to to have good and bad it's it's having people who are flawed and like apart from the older brother in uh Sing- singapore sky i think like his his younger brother is portrayed as maybe took advantage of but not necessary and his greatest crime being his complicity and then his uh, naivety in assuming he can his brother would just stand by while he undermined that complicity and and went off and and did his own thing and that ending up getting his friend badly injured just because his ego his ego was like oh i i'm winning all these these fixed fights i i want a fair fight so I will. I'll let. I'll. I'll make an agreement with this other uh, uh, pilot that we'll have a real race this time, without realizing that his brother doesn't care whether or not he he gets to feel like it's a real race. His brother has got money riding on who wins, and if someone gets in the way of that, they'll get hurt. The 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 finale of it is that Abby's been flying this plane again in the races, and that they're going to con him by having her her beat win a race which is supposed to be fixed and they change it so that uh the the, the pilot who is injured comes back and flies against him and the last the, time. yeah and i i do do feel like there was a, some ambiguity over who was going to win like cuz like they they set up like like this this is his first time fly, back flying and and it's oh they're really going to have this race which they were denied last time and you see him flying towards the um, the finish line, and it comes up that the brothers won again, but it was close, and they both both finally felt the joy of flying again. And the 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 thing which made me think that wasn't going to happen is of, is that we're told, okay, if the brother wins, the the con fails. So how do they they let how does the brother win and the the con still succeed? Turns out they thought of that as well. And I, I did you see that coming? I didn't see that coming but i did think that was very clever and very funny how that was done like it was basically just a film over a window yeah <laughs> when when they fire it off it's either a uh, red fireworks or a purple fireworks they put a film over the fireworks to make the red light look and uh, they edited they had pre-recorded footage of the 
um, of Abby winning, uh, which was clever. Like it was, like I said, that bit was a clever heist, but the stakes were just not as high because like they're more personal. Um, I just, I just, I don't know. Like the first, second arc, I just felt that like they they're a bit shit to Abby throughout. Like she's mm. clearly having distress flying, and then they're like, ah, she's fine. And I just felt that was like really impersonal, and then no one really. Like, there was no real, conf- like, Edamura didn't try, to- it felt like there was some opportunities for him to try and talk to her and have a conversation with her, but they just didn't allow that to happen. And, and there was just a few bits like that, like, similar when she did confront Lewis. Um, like, the fact that, like, she he was, like, there was a bit where they sort of have a confrontation about Abby trying to kill him for potentially bombing and killing his own, her family. And I, I felt that bit really wasn't, um, I felt it wasn't addressed. And I felt that her didn't really have a resolution or anything. And I, I felt it was a bit of a, just a bit of a disappointment. Um, and it's still, like you said, her from being a child soldier to where she is now, which is some sort of like crazed lunatic. It doesn't, there's yeah. like a, there's a missing bit that changes. And I don't really like, Thierry's meant to be sort of like this this sage like handler who knows everything, understands everyone, has a complete control over everything. And I just don't think that like his excuse was good enough. Laurent has been very much setting up both Abigail and Cynthia to have these encounters with people from their past. That Lewis that the fact that Abigail met Lewis is not a coincidence. That's something Laurent has decided he wants to happen. And he makes happen. Yeah, um, and you, yeah, and that's sort of. I guess. I mean, do you want to move on to the third arc? Yeah, the third arc the third, is better. The third arc, Snows of London, is a more restrained heist. It's about uh, Edmund gets himself into into trouble by trying to be too smart. He he's working in he's he's boarding in this little little French like bistro and he's told okay we've occurred all these debts we've got to shut down we're sorry he's like okay i'm gonna i wouldn't normally do do this i've I've been living on the straight and narrow but for this one time i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna pull a heist to help you out so i'll take this worthless painting on your your wall and i will pretend that it's worth lots of money and i'll sell it to to some foolish mark and so he does that and uh, sells it to this uh, art collector, James Coleman, the most British name ever. Yeah, only only for him <laughs> to turn on the TV a few days later and and see James Coleman and going, I discovered this this remarkable classic painting worth over twenty million pounds, and they were selling it for only twenty thousand. <laughs> what idiots! And then he's like, Well, um, that's awkward. <laughs> Yeah. And hence the 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 new the big plan is to is to somehow get that painting back from its its new owner. Coleman is is um, abusing a woman's love for financial gain, so that uh, Farrah Brown is her name, um, and and so that she he can get more money and basically sort of tries to buy it, but then. I think Thierry outbids her and then they're like, shit, we've now got a fucking priceless artifact that we now need to somehow get more money off of. So they then do an incredibly more elaborate heist on the dark uh, auction where uh, James and Vara join as well. 
And there's quite a good bit where they're all like, you get, you see the recurring side bit characters as they all pretend to be like some sort of mafia, mafia don. Um, and yeah, it, and yeah, the sort of like real story of it is the the past of Cynthia and her uh, love, her lost love, uh, who is a artist called Thomas. Thomas Meyer, um, who we see in flashback, is a struggling artist. Well, it turns out is is what he's been doing to to make ends meet is to draw to paint replicas of um, of famous artists. But what this um, Coleman realizes is that his replicas are so good that he can pass them off for real ones and use the fact that he's considered an authority in art to lend authenticity to these fakes. And so he's asked to draw any of the stylings of the artist. Sort of, uh, and this is what, like, the ultimate point of this art from for Thomas's perspective is it was like him copying an art per piece per piece to make it perfect or him impersonating an artist to sell his art on as like a multi-million art like art piece i think that's what is the important bit here is why thomas got wrapped up in this because all of a sudden his art sure it's it's a copy of an art piece that's never going to be found ever again because it's the supposed lost art piece artworks but he's it's his creation that has been brought to light by this art seller and in many ways it just highlights the uh the ridiculousness of the art world and how prestige um, sort of begets any sort of quality or authenticity. Um, similarly with sort of, if you have a look at like Banksy's pieces when he tried to destroy his own art in an auction um, and then it broke and then it's now a half-ripped it, piece. It quote-unquote uh, which... broke. The, uh, like it's now, that's now hanging up for millions of dollars and is also in that stupid fucking show Carol and Tuesday. Uh, with a good side joke, but like it's so. I think that there is an importance there. You get a sense that all the time in in the relationship she, he'd been having with with Cynthia, she'd been trying to uh, encourage him to accept his own style and f- find it in his works, whereas he was still um, seeing his worth in his ability to reproduce other people's styles. So that being confronted with people thinking his work was was worthy of sketching was, and so it ends up with him being asked to do a a new copy of this the snows of London this picture which the the, the critic has fallen in love with and then working out a, a scam to swap the two, but the, but what is important is him re, rekindling his joy of just the craft of just drawing again of getting into the mindset of of someone creating something in the auction they are that what he's he tells edinburgh to do is to swap the the the, the two suitcases so that it's the real so the real one is kept by the gang and the fake is sold but ed doesn't do that he he leaves he lets the real one get sold and he keeps the fake um, because I think at some level he 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 recognizes that um, this artist doesn't want his his work to be out there like that, that's and 
he allows him to keep that integrity and maybe have a chance of rediscovering who he was before he went down that rabbit hole and became someone who had no faith in his self-worth. And how and Cynthia and his relationship is is interesting because ultimately his lack of self-worth and his fragility about that is what leads to their breakup. And even here at the end where he has recovered some of it, he sort of still judges her for being a, a con woman, where she's come to an acceptance to to that, which he didn't yet find. He didn't, he still hasn't quite found his acceptance in his ability to be reproducing these things, to copying these things, to fooling these people, being a skill which is admirable and not um, to be ashamed of, whereas she's become content with her ability to fake things and to trick people and to put on a performance as and for these unreal things to create real outcomes. And I think like that's that's the big thing of this third third arc for me that one we have this character who is content in their life of um subterfuge, which isn't something we see often. Yeah. Well that in theory. But I think that I think that also um, her being an actor and then her being a failing actor and then her using her acting skills to be a con man is, um, is a way of her showing that actually the thing that she's using that is day-to-day is the things that she loves to do, which is to act, uh, even if it is for unscrupulous reasons. Um, but th- that, that's deliberately drawn in contrast to him, who is doing the exact same. He's drawing and he's doing it for, for that reason and he's faking stuff, but he can never quite bring himself to accept that he's doing the thing he loves still whereas she's come to that acceptance yes i i agree and i think that's quite a good sort of part i uh, and i do think that there was a nice bit where they sort of went oh actually it's um like this picture's warmer the coffee is warmer i um also the other thing that you're beginning to mention is that thierry also set him up again because they had a mover who found the painting to begin with and the place that you're saying he was living at was all created and planned by Thierry. So, well, it's whether it's well, we we don't know exactly what level, but we do. We are told that no, he, Cynthia he, he Cynthia knows. recognizes this isn't been set up for Edamura. This is this is Edamura uh, set up as a by Lauren as a way of dragging up her past in the same and making her confront it in the same way he set up Abby to confront her past. Yeah, and I thought that they were very good. I just, like, I just don't know why he's bothering. I imagine the next arc is going to be involving him, and then there'll be a third arc which is going to involve Mahjong. Which, if the end, <laughs> if the OP is anything to do with, it will be great. Well, apparently um, <laughs> we have a a nine episode long arc which is just about, which is uh, called Wizard of the Far East, which is entirely cent- centered on Lauren. That that sounds great. Like, this, I mean, this is the thing, like. They are three separate heists that feels like they could have been three separate movies and I really loved every single one. Like, even though I'm being down on the other two, I did really, really enjoy them. They were gripping and engaging and enjoyable and the characters are lovable and like there's a lot to really enjoy. I, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm being a bit, way too negative than I actually felt when watching that show. I, I felt that as far... When, you, when the first arc is literally like, ev- nothing is real, everything's a con... I just stopped 
giving as much of a damn. I can't trust anything that happens to be merely coincidence. I can't trust anything that happens to be like an accident. It's all perfectly planned by Lauren. Um, you, you just have to come to peace, peace with that like Cynthia does. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I really enjoyed both arc. I, I enjoyed the whole show. I thought it was really great. And I think it's well worth watching. It's one of, it's if one of, if not the best Netflix original air quotes anime that's out there. Um, it's jumped right up to the top. And I'm looking forward to season two greatly when we get that in 2021. Well, it's actually, um, well, who knows when we'll get it, but Japan will get it tomorrow. Yes. yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Andy, after after you've you've slated uh, no other Netflix originals as being as good, what would you like to talk about next? Oh no, no, so that's ben. <laughs> no, no, that was not me. That was Ben. That was me. That was me. Andy was boy in the beast. I would love to talk about the third season of Aggressive Retsko or Agretsko, uh, a Sanrio uh, short series that got expanded to full length, although not really full length uh, episodes. Uh, and seasons of ten plus a Christmas special for the uh, for the first season. Oh, yeah, um, the the third season came out uh, recently, and I was worried I wasn't going to be able to watch it for this podcast because I was watching it with my girlfriend who's busy. Uh, but we binged it all yesterday, so my <laughs> impressions aren't fully considered, but they're <laughs> there, and hopefully they can be midwifed by one or both of you uh, so I, yeah I, I binged it like as soon as it came out i just just like <laughs> me and just slammed for it like yeah carry on i mean it's very it's a very watchable show and just like every uh-huh. episode more so even than most anime like one episode leads into the other uh very clearly and sometimes they're actually kind of manipulative cliffhangers at the end of each episode <laughs> uh uh especially when you have a, a person as intimidating as uh was it hyoda yeah uh, what's his face the Kyodo is the is their the manager. Uh so this show, I feel like I feel like each season of Agretzko is about finding trying to find your place in the world through like one of like the big parts of your life. And so the first season's about finding your place by like in your work, and then the second season's about finding your place in relationships, and third the third's about finding your place in hobbies or side hustles. Um but also, I think it's probably the best season because I think it it is about how difficult it is to pursue your passion outside of the context of a career. And I think that it does a good job of showing a lot of different characters like struggle with who they who they are as as people when they're not at work and not at their jobs. And I think they especially having Haida, the hyena who will just always apparently have a crush on on Retsko, even as Finico asks him, why do you actually like her? Uh, you're not friends. Uh, to, to, <laughs> but uh, but like we see him outside of work and he's always wearing his like his like punk rocker jacket and he's got like like British flags all over his apartment, I guess, because that's what it, punk rockers in Japan do. It's so it's so cringy, his apartment. Like it's and then he just sort of plays bass like Kind of pathetically, I thought. I thought it, his bass playing was good. I don't know. I, I, I kid. It was. It was good. I thought. I thought his his outfits more mod than more mod than punk in terms of how yeah. he looks because he's got like that big duffel yeah. coat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's always it's always funny. Just like, but so basically, uh, uh, Retsko gets in an accident that forces her to become the part time accounting ma- manager for the guy she hits. Uh, underground idol band and eventually spoilers she 
starts p- playing in the band herself after he sees her do karaoke. And yeah, I don't want to go into too much like plot details because I don't think that's actually the important thing. Like what literally happens is not the important part of 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 a Gretzko, but how different characters react and how people people navigate their social situations. And they did a really good job of just having this season, especially having different characters like go out for a drink, like when Haida and yeah. when Haida meets with the gorilla or meets with her ex-boyfriend. What's his face? Um, that's not his real name. Todd to know. Uh, and yeah, then and then Tadno meets Gori, and yeah, I it's, thought, I thought it's you ne- meant Gori's ex girlfriend and boyfriend. I was like, what? Hmm? Huh? No, no, you're no, talking about Retsuko's no. ex boyfriend. No, Retsuko's the only person who dates in this anime. Sorry, yeah. uh, no one else gets to go on dates. Although uh, oh, uh, I, I, I do, wonder <laughs> if they might might be, you might end up with a weird Gori Tadno uh, romance. <laughs> they seem to really get along. It, it's it's what I think of as the Deadwood effect, which is the first show where I realized like, oh, a lot of the pleasure of watching the TV show Deadwood is you have all these really well-established characters and you realize that two of them who you both think of as very integral to the show haven't actually talked <laughs> or haven't like said more than like basic niceties. And so watching them meet and interact and like, I was surprised that Todd no emerged and kind of gave like a big chunk of the end of the season speech about like choosing your path and what that means. And like, whether or not you're able to trust that like your interests will lead you to something that will make you happy. And what even is happiness if you can't pay rent or can't do the thing you want to do. And it, Gretzko continues to be like one of the few shows, one of the few anime that like is talking about capitalism, the way that the way that I think a lot of people that I know are talking about capitalism and it does so in these different, interesting angles. It never seems cheap. And even though her awful pig, literal pig boss, um, who I forgot that his his family is all voiced by the same voice actor, too, <laughs> which is just the cheapest, dumbest joke. But it's, it's just a good like, joke. He's got two that's, twin daughters and they're good. like, Dad, it's called headbanging dad. It's called death voice dad. But, yeah. uh, but even like even though he's like he was the villain out and out. And even in, at the end of the first season, um even though he, we kind of like get to see him a bit more as a person, he's still the antagonist of, of Retzko's life. And it's interesting how we've grown that he's still this menacing figure. Um, but his like weird twisted fatherliness towards her to again, go back to parenting um, is, is really interesting where he, when people, when people find out that, that Retzko was short on money, um, basically everyone who hears that's like, why didn't you come to me? And for us, the audience from an abstract removed position the answer is obvious of course uh uh gory just bought a just bought an apartment and is putting all her money into her app development and who the fuck would want to borrow money from your misogynist abusive boss um but it's still like everyone's just like oh why didn't you borrow money from me and it's it's very much everyone thinking that they know the solution to your problem and meanwhile you've got to go it on your own it was nice to actually in that scene to have uh, let's go say like if the time comes where I have to choose between my passion and my work I'll give you my two weeks notice mm-hmm. and he kind of accepts that kind of it's very odd he comes to the concert at the end so yeah yeah I, uh, what what do you all think about about aggressive let's go O and A season three <laughs> I thought the uh, sorry Doug, I, Duncan do you want to go first I feel like no, I'm always jumping in all right fine um I thought that uh, <laughs> uh, I thought that it it shows like a more like I think the bad points I thought of season three 
Aguetico turns into more of an asshole than in any of the other seasons. Like, like you said. Why like, is that bad? Um, <laughs> why does that have to be bad? Can people not just be people, assholes? Because there are people who view her as a friend, and then they just, and then she just clearly doesn't view any of them as friends. It's just like yeah. work colleagues. And I felt that that was that was that was just a poor misstep. And obviously, like obviously that I, th- I think it's worth isn't... calling out though. Like I think that is like she doesn't consider her peers or friends. Her work friends are the two like high up powerful women because I think a lot of her friendships are aspirational. I think that's a problem Retzko has, and she kind of ran up against it. I don't think it got addressed fully, which is why I would understand you finding it like to be a downside. But she yeah. doesn't. She's not friends with Fenico. She's not friends with Haida. She she never when Haida has mean, to like has to dump on, has to like dump on her. He's she's like name three things that suck about her <laughs> about her, and one of them like she never comes out to drink with us. She's not like yeah. It's sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and I thought like so that. Like you said, a character flaw that may or may not be resolved, but like, and she's and then just like kind of abusive against people who she who do view her as friends by just like going up to um, going up to Hyder and just being like, oh, finally I need a reason to talk to you because can you teach me how to play the guitar? Yeah, it's just like like it it was this weird thing of of Hyder sort of being in a shitty situation, following the woman that she loves who doesn't love him back really has no intention doesn't even think about him really no (laughs) absolutely nothing and uh and i felt that was kind of sad and then i also felt like her deaf voice youtube thing it's like well now literally the whole world knows that this one small red panda sings death metal so (laughs) i'm just kind of wondering what they'll do about that weird embarrassment that she's embarrassed that people knows that she sings karaoke i'm just like there's no embarrassment now. Like everybody knows because you've made them all know. You well, there was the barely any. There was barely any of her singing karaoke until like the thir- the fourth or fifth episode is the first time she actually goes to karaoke, as opposed to the first season where every episode has a karaoke thing, usually yeah. segueing into the <laughs> credits. And yeah. this, it's like it literally just exists so that she can get pressured into being part of uh, OTM. Uh, which I didn't talk about, but I I love Monica. She was my favorite character. This, oh. this you see, just the the burnt out idol who is a hard tsundere towards towards Gretzko. And, and of then, like you make you make people happy. Stop complaining. It's just yeah. like her like nice moment. And then them and then them walking in and when she just works at Seven Eleven and it's just like this is the job because I do the job that I actually have passion for. Yeah. To her. And then I, I also felt like. Story-wise, so Retsuko um, gets uh, potentially stabbed by a fan who gets upset that OTM gets a fourth member and all of a sudden they become really popular and view Retsuko as like the virus of this band and forces her and wants her to leave and then attack tries to attack her. But I think Haida gets in the way. Yeah, he cuts his hand, yeah. grabbing him. Um, which sends her into a spiral of depression because she's then like... She can't leave, which is an understandable thing, but it feels like this is kind of as far as idols go, as far as stories for idols go, this has kind of been done before. Yeah, and, no, uh, it definitely transformed into an idol, like a, a darker idol anime for like the last episode and a half. Yeah, it, it's strong, <laughs> like dark, uh, what's it, perfect blue, like sort of idol mm. stuff. And it, and I was just a bit disappointed that she didn't want 
So she wanted to quit being an idol, but she didn't want to quit that bad enough to at least do the last idol performance so that they can get a good song out and all show them learning to play the guitars. It just felt a bit like those small bits sort of niggled at me whilst the overarching thing of Ida sort of choosing the ideals of love and over the comforting love that is in front of him uh, with an eye, which is another great, like, um, another great sub story and really was the most important the most interesting part of the whole show was whether Hyde is going to choose like Retiko or Inui um and his his dog co-worker who has actually has interests in common and is really aggressively pursuing him it's so funny when <laughs> when they're like when they're like yeah she was pers- she was really pursuing you and he's like I thought I was doing the pursuing and they're like no you are you kidding you were being played son <laughs> yeah you she invites herself up, basically invites herself over to your apartment, and then tries to kiss you while you like lean more and more into the base because you've got this. You, I mean, I don't. I get why Haida doesn't want to get with Inoue. I think he likes his his like safe, idealized version of Retsuko. But yeah, it is interesting that we we end on that. We end with that kind of unresolved. They like the final moment of the show is them making plans to go for lunch, and that's it. Like at work, they're they're just work friends still. I don't know. I, I felt that if anything, maybe this was part of Retsuko realizing that her work colleagues are more than work colleagues. Um, I feel that that is sort of slowly transforming, and I'm guessing that's, I'm hoping that's where season four goes to. Um, but I felt that I really love Retsuko, and I thought that season three really was the strongest of all the seasons, but with that, yeah. it highlighted there was a few problems that kind of just left me going it's a bit like some parts are disappointing it wasn't you know what i mean like, it was it wasn't perfect yeah it wasn't perfect it wasn't perfect blue no <laughs> well well uh i've seen duncan glowering this whole time do you you loved it i mean i i liked it a lot too i i rated yeah, it very I, high I on spreadsheet too. But but I think Duncan was the one who really came away saying that this is by far the best season of it, of Gretzko. Th- oh, it I is think like without a shadow of a doubt. There's a lot to be said in terms of like this being the first one where she it's really about something she's doing rather than something that's happening to her. Like, yeah, but she's season... not she's not wanting, willingly doing it. She's there's forced no, no, into doing there's... it in the first place because she has a car accident. Then she's forced into singing, and then she discovers that she actually quite likes it, By but only because she... it's making money and it's making and it's getting. Well, I don't, I don't think it's like because uh, it's only making money because when she meets with the uh, when she meets with Pig Boss, yeah. uh, he's like, "I'll just pay for it, and then you can stop doing it." And she's like, "Actually, I, I like this. I like what I'm doing. Yeah, I think cause... that there is there is they. I don't. I think they feather it in in the back half of the of the series." Uh, but the idea that she's always been really passive and she always has this very static idea of what it means to be a good girl. And again, Monica, best girl, says, like, you have to have a re- like you, you're a good girl. So you always have to make up a reason that you're doing something before you do it. And I think that that's a pretty a pretty damning call out for for someone who knows her less than a lot of her, quote unquote, friends to say to her that, like, yeah, she she needs she's so passive she needs to be forced into some, into doing something that makes her happy mm-hmm. uh and so i think it's it's interesting to watch her choose choose it in the back half of the of the season and then choose to let it go because because it's not just the, the social con, con uh consequences are too high but just that she 
like I don't know. I I, I really I'm curious to see in another season where Retsuko goes from here because it does seem like she does get completely blown out by by the murder attempt from a disgruntled fan, uh, yeah. and then and then basically is told like I mean it's always going to be hard to like do the thing you love and you've got to you've got to decide how long you're going to stay on this path. I feel like. It's almost like she, previously she had an antagonist, whether it's Ton in the first season or Anna and mm. I in the second. And like, there's not really an antagonist until we get that weird fan in, in the like perfect blue arc at the end. And I think like. It seemed like a lot of his design was referencing uh, the perfect blue guy. Too. Yeah. <laughs> like his weird, yeah. His weird yeah, like, like fish eyes that were always looking out from under the hair. Yeah. And the mask that was covering and yeah. Like... Yeah. It, it was definitely, a, I think there was, as you say, there's definitely a callback there. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot, like I, I'm sure Sanrio has like a lot of knowledge of, of this, this sort of st- stuff which happens around and, I imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the finale where Haida uh, takes her to uh, the karaoke and and says, "Okay, you've been down. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna put on your your song and I'm gonna sing about how how pathetic you're being and and provoke you into actually standing up for yourself." And I both hated that and thought it worked well because like I, yeah. I hated like how contrived it was and how. Ida gets to get gets chewed out for being a a white knight, but also gets to be a white knight. He, like he 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 does as as get her out of her her funk, even though she calls him on the fact that he presumes that he he can be the one to act as a catalyst for her. And yeah, I think it was good. It is just nice to have have some have a Gretz go getting angry at someone. And to their face, because like the whole thing about her her death thing is that, as she says to her YouTube viewers, is you can do it completely anonymous. No one will know it's you. And here she is telling someone what she thinks of them to their face. And I I thought that was a good moment for her. But yeah, it uh, does seem like Hyde is offering himself as a sacrificial lamb, which because, but it it does it does often read like having cake and eating too. So I really enjoyed this season. Yeah. About the, um, like I, I felt that it sort of falls into the sitcom trap of everything has to be the end, same by the end, and I felt that they just yeah. kind of, um, and I felt that's that may be part of the reason behind Haida like ditching Inui, uh, like, and them just like walking off getting like lunch. It just feels, and I, I have no problem with that. Like the three seasons, in actual fact, they're like ten up fifteen minutes each. So this is really like. Yeah doesn't really consider like in comparison doesn't even do like a whole like season of say rick and morty or something i think roughly like but you know what i'm saying like it's yeah there's a lot less time development but i just feel that there needs to now like if if everything is fine at the end of that's season four i'm just like how is everything fine now? I mean, it's fine and not <laughs> fine. Like, I think that's the interesting thing about a, about Retsuko as a character and aggressive Retsuko as a series is that, like, there is this terror of growing older and not finding your place in the world. And it's reminded by every time that the boss calls her a short timer because yeah. he still thinks that she's going to get married and quit. Um, and she's adamant that that's not that's not 
the game plan for her and that's actually kind of what makes it impressive that she's like if i find what i really want to do i'll quit and like in a way she's confirmed to him everything that he's always told her that she is i do think that the further away we go from how like boring and depressing agretzka's job is i do think that it become it becomes much more a matter of like as you say sitcom resets because it only really works for me when the sitcom reset is to her being 25 years old and <laughs> stuck in a dead end job with a boss who who doesn't like her and wants her out. And in um, five seconds, she's going to be a normal uh, sock tree office girl. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Count to yeah. ten. Count to ten, ten and I'll be a good girl is, is a very good. <laughs> yeah. That uh, that actually made my girlfriend tear up because it reminded her of a lot of a lot of her coping mechanism when, when she's under a lot of stress is just like, OK, going to let myself feel these feelings and I'm going to count to 10 and then I'm going to be the person that the situation needs. It's a yeah. very type yeah. type one problem solving, but Aggretsuko uh, is not a type one character. She's so passive. She's so, I don't even know what a type one is. So continue. Pushy <laughs> versus pu- pushy versus not pushy. Basically. Right. It'll be interesting for me in the fourth season, whether or not, um, Manika uh, shows up or not, because like, I feel like she's like, whether the first person Vetsko sort of accepts as like uh, a, f- a friend, it, weirdly, even though they end up parting ways, is that that she sort of see she lets her guard down from her because she's she's sort of like antagonistic to her. She provokes her throughout. She she doesn't let Vetsko get away with being a, a good girl. And... But we had we had Puko as well in the first season, who was exactly that as well to her. Is that the the leopard type thing? Uh, yeah, that that was her school friend. Who was yeah, like, I don't oh, know. I'm gonna start a uh... the cougar, the cougar, the literal cougar. <laughs> no, she's gonna start. She was gonna start her own like online business, yeah. like yeah. selling stuff, and wanted Gretzko to come on to handle the books, and then Gretzko realized like. Oh, you have no money, and I'm gonna have to work really hard at this. Never mind. So again, another bad up. character flaw. I feel. For <laughs> she pops up again this quickly in this series at the start. Yeah, just to yeah. just once again, as you say, literally, Retsko's being passive at a at a store and getting tested into taking a store card, and she just comes up. You don't need that. If the moment that Retsko doesn't need that is the moment we'll have seen some real progress and a real change in her, but. She still needs someone else to come in and provoke her, whether that's Haida or if that's Manica, mm-hmm. or even in some ways Director Ton at times, unintentionally. She still needs that um, thing to react against. It's when she's capable of acting on her own. That's when we'll know. Yeah, and it... also also voiced by Marina Inoue, by the way. Finico, Finico Inoue, and uh, what's her face, Puko, are all Marina Inoue all, all <laughs> doing, really? doing voices. Yeah, they, they've got a lot of them are, are played by the same characters, like uh, the same guy who plays Ton plays Anai. Mm-hmm. Which we were talking during the break about how impressive it is that some some voice actors in anime can really give different performances. But I guess like Fenico's like permanent nasal drawl uh, <laughs> is is very different from Inoue's like high fluty uh, way of talking. I I, I love even then I love sort of Fenico being 
uh, the setup of her own demise in a way by getting involved in that VR game at the beginning. I like, wish we could have seen more of that. I was hoping oh, for a payoff. Same, same. I was but hoping for a payoff when when she was like when she was talking to Hyde about his his understand relationships, and I wanted it just to be a smash cut to her at home. <laughs> With her, like, when she puts on, she's like, all right. She's like, what? What? And she's, like, walking around her apartment, like, <laughs> oh, with it slowly sticking. This is a new world. <laughs> and Haida, like, they're actually, like, Haida and Finnegan are actually friends. Yeah. And it, makes, it makes me feel kind of sorry for, for Retzko, but this is obviously how she wants it. Of where she's like, she's like, this is so dumb. And he's like, you're going to get into it. And she's like, what are you talking about? It looks so dumb. And he's like, that's what you always do. You always insult something. And then you buy it to make fun of it. And then you get really into it. Yeah. And I'm like, I, yeah. I know people like that. So. <laughs> I, I do that. exactly. And it was, yeah. Just like when people unironically as a joke, say bay and then start using it unironically. And then, yeah. it, and then it just becomes normal commonplace language. You're like, oh, I am the worst. Like, yeah, I, I love Federico. I, I love, I, and like I said, I, I love Agretico. I just don't know how much clout there is going to be going on to season four. I just just want something to not have a sitcom. In. I mean, I don't think we're going to get the, that. It's, at, at some, yeah, I don't know if she's ever going to quit her job, which is, I think, like the important, like for whatever reason, that's the important character decision. And they keep they keep being like, oh, she'll quit her job because she hates her job. Oh, she'll quit her job because she has a, a millionaire boyfriend. Oh, yeah. she'll quit her job because she became a a death metal idol. But none of those things were enough to push it you're right and it there is a question of in season four are they actually going to give her a reason to leave her job behind which she hates she hates that job Absolutely. she's good at it yeah. vaguely no she's not that good at it she's still not that good at it because i mean she's good at it we... when she's good at this the skills she has are applicable in other places though it's just that the job itself is killing her so she's yeah. not good at that job uh yeah i i just i don't know it, it was it but we're being ultimately quite <laughs> negative on a show that we yeah well that's the thing adore and this third season is the strongest of all the three seasons yes yes um, it's got actual moments it's got tension yeah. it, there's a lot of like nice setups and reveals that don't feel cheap or manipulative uh-huh, uh-huh. like even finding out what uh what, what's his face uh yoda's yoda's like mm-hmm. actual job is at the end that was such a like dumb throw <laughs> reveal but still it made, it made me laugh i liked it yeah I loved it all, um, and uh, I I look for I always look forward to more. Um, mm. I just wonder how long it's going to get until I just get tired of it. Like you said, falling back on the sitcom ending where everything's the same. Um, okay, well, um, our my recommendation is to check that out, and in the meantime, let's go ahead and wrap up this podcast episode. Uh, next episode. We will be discussing the end of the year wrap up, which I think is going to take up the whole thing. We don't usually do a topic during the end of the end of the season wrap up. And then after that, we will be doing uh, adaptations we love and hate in anime. So that's the next month for you. Uh, In the meantime, rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast service you use. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And of course, tell a friend. Not any friend. I think you should <laughs> probably tell the uh, the friend who who's, you really need to push into doing stuff. Um, like, I don't know, forming an idol, an underground idol group. Or, or, or getting or getting into VR dating. <laughs> get into VR dating or calling characters by their by their Pokemon equivalents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good podcast, everyone. Say goodbye. Good podcast. Goodbye. Bye podcast. Bye.